Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 338 of the Big Show. Some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? Another wild Wednesday. Hump day Wednesday. Almost there, folks. Oh, actually set up the uh, the Halloween decorations the other day. So, of course, Hall- Halloween in Saskatchewan that pretty well evolves. Like, you know, what costume goes with a ski with goes with a parka? Although I shouldn't say I shouldn't jinx it because actually last year um, Halloween was actually a nice night, and I think actually we legitimately got snow like the next day. But it was like Halloween was nice. Um, I always feel sorry for the kids because it's like normally Halloween's the shits. It's like cold. We have snow already. Like not like snow drifts, but there's like snow on the ground and it's just like, ugh. but I gotta say so far, uh, you know, for mid October, the weather's actually been really, I think it was like 17 today. It's like the weather's been good. So knock on wood the longer the, uh, that bullshit snow stays away, the better. But, uh, I gotta tell you folks, on a little personal note here, this will, uh, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, the shows the level of uh, athleticism I'm at these days. Yeah, I have actually injured, I injured my knee sleeping. There we go. How, how's that one? Yeah, I have barely been able to walk for like the last three days. I'm like limping, like ice and putting ice on it, the heat on it. A53, you know, all that shit, arthritis shit, knee brace, anything. I will say though, I have gone to work. I have not missed any time. Uh, like an idiot. I've got, I've gone to work. Don't know what I'm trying to prove, but, uh, 8 million sick days. I'm still going to work like a moron. But, um, cause I, my job involves a lot of up and down and walking. I don't have a desk job. So it's like, no, I'm a, I'm unfortunately, I'm a labor monkey. So it's like, you know. The you rubbing some the dirt don't work no more at this age. So, how do you injure your knee? Well, I think what happened is like the one night I got up in the night to whiz or whatever, and the wife snoring, so I was like, "Ah, oh, fuck it." So I went out to the was lying on the couch, and I think what first of all what I did is I fell asleep with my leg, my one leg up on the armrest. So I think just that in that position. And then later on, I kind of had it hanging off the couch. And I think it's just, that's what did it. Because it's not like it's like a muscle thing behind the knee or I, I twisted it or anything popped. or No, it's like literally feels like someone just like hit me with a bat in the side of my knee. You know, it's like a bone bruise. That's what it feels like. It's just like ridiculous. And it's like, I've been limping around here for the last bunch. of It's like, oh my God. Like, if you can help it, don't get old. <laughs> yeah, but there we go. Uh, I've always actually 
knock on wood again. I, I've always been fairly fortunate. I, I, all my life, I never had knee problems, thankfully. I never wrecked my knees or hurt them or nothing. So that's been good. I've had, you know, I got afraid of my shoulders and lower back problems now and again and everything else. But no, my knees have always been good. So, but man, what a pain in the ass. So yeah, the sitting there, the first time in my life, I actually had a knee brace on today. You know, and it's just like, oh man, it's starting to get a little better, but Jesus, you know, so I won't be winning the sack race at the company picnic this year, but anyway, I'm sure you, I'm sure everybody tuned in to, to hear that, you know, who's, you know, now every, every time I hit record and I start going, all of a sudden now my phone, now I'm starting to get, haven't got a text message all night. Now, as soon as I hit record, we're going to start texting. Uh, anyway, what are we going to talk about tonight, boys and girls? Well, um, Tim, I got some lists. Tim likes the lists. I, I, uh, it's the, the, the 10, well, since we're talking about, you know, the last couple of days with Reeves and all the goon talk, oh, the goons are out. We're going to rank the 10 biggest goons in NHL history. And then I have somebody sent me the Penguins all-time enforcer squad list, whatever that involved so we'll go from there but also oh i oh i ruffled some feathers today folks on the on the internets yes oh i i i said some mean things about ov and the fanboys didn't like it apparently so i i i'll tell you i quickly got told let me oh you know but because i don't know shit apparently so We'll get into that and all that fun stuff. But before we start doing that, I got to tell you about a few of my friends. Jolt and Joel Lazito over at the Coliseum Chronicles. Uh, so you guys know it's a New York Islander based podcast. Well, he is, uh, since he has joined the network, uh, he, for some, when he went on to their platform, for some reason, some of his early episodes didn't make the transfer over. So he's been uploading the interviews, uh, calling kind of like the lost files, lost episodes. And right now he's got his, the third part of his Mick Fakota interview, which is, I've always said, one of the best, if not the best player interview, enforcer interview ever done. And Fakota's a great guest. Mick tells a great story, which, you know, uh, you know, and, and like I said, even if you're not a Fakota fan or whatever, nah, whatever, tune in. He tells great stories, and uh, yeah, you'll dig it, believe me. So check that out. And then, of course, we got Alec. Uh, I know he's recorded something. It's done. I don't know if he just has to do the intro and edit it a bit, but uh, he will have a new episode here coming out shortly. But in the meantime, his la- last episode was with Luke Gazdick, um, which was a really good interview. Gazdick's great guest. Um and Luke does his own podcast too. So, I mean, he knows the gimmick and whatever. He knows what's going on. But, uh, um, problem I always said with Gazdick, uh, it's a shame he did, he came along like 10 years too late. You know, if he had played, if he had come around in like the 90s, early 2000s, he would have played, I think he would have had a longer NHL career. He's a bad dude, man. I don't know what episode it was. I lost track of all my episodes, but it wasn't that long ago. I did a player spot. I need to just start doing player spotlights again. Um, but I did a player spotlight on spotlight on Gazdick, and uh, it was a lot of fun to go down that rabbit hole and check it out. He, yeah, he had some great NHL tilts. I recommend to anybody to do that. And uh, but yeah, great guest was really into it, describing the fights and kind of breaking shit down and whatever. Definitely tell he was a student of the game. 
And uh, it was fun to listen to. So it's a good interview. Check it out. Also, if you happen to be on the YouTubes and you're cyber surfing, check out the Fourth Line Voice. I have over 2,000 videos on my YouTube channel. Um, all the leagues, whatever league you're looking for, I got them all sorted. So just type it into the little magnifying glass, little search thing there, AHL, IHL, whatever, boom, up they'll come. So also Alec has one at the Five for Fighting podcast. And then my boy Jay at Iowa, uh, D as in the letter D, skunk, like the animal, D skunk. Um, he has, uh, he's uploaded a lot of, uh, SPHL fights from the last couple years. But he goes back like over a decade and in the Quad City area. So he's like Quad City flame stuff up from the American League and like Jonathan Hammer Trombley shit and like McIntyre, Frank Littlejohn. Like he's got some cool old minor league shit that like no one else has. So definitely check out his channel, subscribe to it. And as I always say on YouTube, as well as with these podcasts, if you want to support the, the content creator, like again, I'm not just saying it for myself, but for everybody, um, hit, like on YouTube, hit the thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel. I know it sounds corny with the up, the thumbs up thing, but YouTube loves the engagement and shit. They, and it helps in the algorithms. And same thing, if you're listening to iTunes, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, again, not only mine, but Joe's and Alec, everyone, um, rate the show, do the little star rating thing there. Cause again, helps in the algorithms, Spotify, iTunes, they love that shit. It's it, and it, it helps us out as creators. So if you could do that for me, I would greatly appreciate it. And download, don't stream. That's how we get paid. <laughs> uh, yes, and thank you to the uh, to the cat there on on Twitter or X as it's called now. Uh, it goes by the handle uh, Kaola Thistle, and uh, wrote for anyone unfamiliar with your podcast episode 337 is a great introduction to the fourth line voice as it relates to the sorry state of hockey played and perceived in 2023 thank you for the hours that you devote to the podcast and its guests players and observers alike and then he went uh, then he put and yes I do download well there you go see everything wrapped up right there I'm I'm I hope I said that name right I'm gonna just call you KT how's that uh, no, I appreciate that. Thank you very much for uh, sending that and listening to the show and downloading it. Um, yeah, that look, look at that, that full throated endorsement from folks. Well, I'll tell you, I was going to say, I, I always wondered who listened to the show. You're the one. All right. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, there we go. What more do you need? Um, <laughs> But yeah, like I was, what was I saying? I've, I've completely lost here all of a sudden. Um, oh yes, with the, with the randomness and the, all the goon talk and everything here, um, the last couple days, I laughed. The morning skate, my boy Ked over at the morning skate, he, uh, they put up a video. It was of when Ovechkin speared that Frederick kid for the Bruins and the nuts. I can't remember the caption was, oh, it's a beautiful game or something, whatever. Well, I just couldn't help myself. Of course, I have to, I have to comment. I said, ah, I just put it. I said, well, he's been gutless his whole career with Ovechkin. You know, oh, here they come. The fanboys through tears of rage. Um, yeah. Oh, the one guy, his first response to me is ex- exactly what Gordy Howe would have done. I rest my case. Uh, yeah, okay, way, way to stay focused there, Paul. 
or whatever you want to call your Paul Noir. Uh, it's like, all right, I, I'm not sure what Gordy has to do with this, but right on. Yeah, thanks. Um, I will say, myself and former player uh, Corey Bolio went back and forth on this. Um, you know, whatever. Um, I'm not really quite sure. Like, again, when I... I, I laugh when I say, like, he's got, and then, he's going to the Hall of Fame, bud. Yeah, he's a goal scorer. Well, yeah, I'm well aware of Ovechkin's uh, credentials. I, I never said it. I never said he was a lousy player. That Why would I say that? That would be a stupid thing to say. He's a Hall of Famer and probably the greatest or arguably the greatest goal scorer of all time. So why would I say he's lousy? No, I said he's gutless. And I'm not quite sure how anybody can really argue that. I mean... He run, he's run around for 15 years and has as many fighting majors as Wayne Gretzky does. And he's, uh, you know, so, and he does shit like this. And it's like, but yet you're, but Corey's whole point was, well, all you guys ripping on Ovi, what's he supposed to do? Fight a bag of hammers that gets six minutes of ice time a game. Well, not every night, no. But, uh, well, first of all, I mean, those days, this isn't 1996, you know. But <laughs> I don't care how many goals you score. If you're going to run guys and take runs of people and spear people in the balls, I'm not going to give you a pass because you score 50 goals. You know, and I replied to him. I said, well, he's run around his whole career and he's never had to back up his bullshit was what my point is. So, of course, Corey, comes, well, what's your point? You say run around. I say plays with an edge. And he shouldn't have to answer the bell as he's more valuable putting the pill in the pot rather than sitting in the box for five minutes. Well, yeah. And I said, well, it's pretty obvious what my point is. He's run around his entire career. He's injured numerous players. He's never once answered for it. He's gutless and he's a product of consequence-free hockey. And you know this. Um, and then Corey replied, well, and my point is that we have different opinion of the way he plays. You said he runs around. I say he plays physical and on the edge, blah, blah, blah. Well, now it's semantic. You can, now you're just arguing blue, white is black, water's wet, sky's blue. I mean, you could call it whatever you want to call it. Oh, he's physical and he's, oh, he plays with an edge. Yeah, he does. But at the end of the day, it's called fucking running around. So you could call it an edge. Okay, he plays with an edge. Well, whatever. I don't know how you watch this video of him spearing this guy in the balls and then it's like, well, why does he need to fight? Okay, so then my response to Corey was, uh, well, I said, you can call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, he's still a gutless bitch. Because he is. He is. And then, of course, okay, okay, bud. You run a page so you're the authority on whether a guy should fight or not. Yeah, okay, then. That's so. That's always a real solid reply. And I said, so okay, so Corey, a guy speared you in the nuts or ran you for years, but would never fight you. Would you go? To, would you say, boy, he sure plays with an edge, or would you say you're a fucking gutless bitch? Yeah, exactly. I we both know what you would say, you know. So, and then I don't know. His reply makes no sense. He plays with an edge, and you think there should be a penalty box for fighting after. After fighting some clown, like I said, whatever, you're right. Yeah, so, okay. So now you're just going to pout. No, you didn't answer my question. And I said, really, that's what I said? That he should... 
Now, see, then they take it, like, literally. Like, I, I'm thinking Ovechkin should just fight every time he throws a hit or doesn't it. No. But my point is, after 15 years, and him with over 3,000 career hits and all this shit running around and spearing... This isn't the first time he speared guys like this and shit. Not once has he fought. Not once. That's my point. He's a gutless coward. Because I guarantee you someone's tried to fight him for all this shit and he won't fight. Now, does he have to fight every time some fucking guy challenge? No. But I, I just laugh. Oh, because he's a star player, he shouldn't have to. Oh, yeah. Well, Aginla did. Tockett did. Neely did. Clark did. They were star players, too. LeCabillet did. You know, whatever. Go down your list. I mean, even Brad Marchand's got 12 fights. Crosby's got, what, 10, 11, 12 fights. Mario had a dozen fights. I think they were pretty good. Ovechkin has three. And he and he's plays a lot more physical than any of those guys do. Lemieux and Lamar, and even Marchant and Crosby and all those guys. Yeah, nothing. You know, but then the excuse becomes, well, he's a star. He doesn't need to. Oh, okay. Okay, he doesn't need to. Clearly he doesn't. Because he doesn't fight. He hasn't for his entire career. Oh, that's fine. But don't sit there and look at this and say he isn't a bitch. He's gutless. But you can call it playing with an edge or whatever you want to call it. But like I said, if you had played against a guy like that, what would you have called him? Wouldn't have been edgy. You know, and oh, and then this clown types in, what star answers for shit like that? What a stupid fucking comment. Yeah, here we go. Both teams have players to answer that call. Pretty obvious. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. See, this is, there we go. You go look at his thing. Oh, he's in his 30s. Yeah, so you're some fucking new age dipshit. So A does something to B, so C should fight D. Well, there you go. See, this is the stupidity of hockey. So Ovechkin runs around like a dork and fucking does, does a bunch of cheap shit. So the two fucking meatheads for both teams should go out and fight each other. Because that, that solves the problem, you fucking idiot. No, that's not what I'm talking about at all. And that is why, have you looked around hockey? <laughs> have you noticed that why there's no consequences anymore? And why there's no tough guys anymore? Because of fucking morons like you and this mindset. You know? So I said, what star acts the way he does? Also, I... I, I uh, Pardon me. I said, what star acts the way he does? Question mark. Also, I, I said he never has answered for anything his entire career. Try and keep up. I'm not just talking about this incident in the video. I'm talking about all of it. Yeah. Name one time he's injured somebody with a goon play. It doesn't happen. He hits hard like he should and should never have to answer for it. Okay. That's what he's paid to do. Score and hit. And no star player plays the way he does. You're right. Just because pussies don't get up sometimes, it's not his problem. Try to keep up, question mark. I'm miles ahead and you're clueless. Oh, you dumb motherfucker. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Oh, he's never injured somebody. He's been suspended three times, you fucking moron. Like, he's never hurt anybody. Oh, yeah. Fucking, you're... Oh, there's ten... 
Go on to YouTube and just type in Ovechkin Cheap Shots. There's a 10 minute fucking music montage. These fucking fanboys. Just through tears of rage typing it that I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, I can tell you who doesn't know what they're talking about in this conversation. I said, like I said, miles ahead of it, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You're such a fanboy, yeah, typing through tears of rage. You know, name one. This, I, this is great stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Ab- absolute fucking nonsense. That these guys think that, oh, because he's a star player, he can just run around and stick people in the balls and cross-check him and spear him and run guys from behind. And, oh, because he's a star, he doesn't have to fight. Oh, I mean, he doesn't have to. I mean, yes, you're right. He doesn't have to, but that's just because of the way hockey is. Let him do that shit in the 80s and see what would happen. Somebody just grab him and fucking start beating the shit out of him. But I love that one. Uh, They have goons for that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the code, right? The code. Yeah. Again, to go along with the whole code thing, then you look around and, well, gee, there's no enforcers anymore. Oh, I wonder what happened. Yeah. Because of this idiot mindset. But no, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh. And, and, and like I said, it's like you say this shit, it's a, you get some other guy, oh, he's on the Hall of Fame, man. Like, every team would want him. Oh, well, you know, oh thanks. Fuck, look at you, scout of the year. Thanks, Tips. No kidding. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame. By saying he's a gutless coward has nothing to do with his talent level. Fuck, like, keep up. One doesn't, they're not mutually exclusive. Like, ah, uh, but just these fanboys, they just can't get it through. Well, he could fight if he wanted to. Oh, well, he, but he doesn't, so, okay. Like I said, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle too. Like, you know. Yeah, and like I said earlier, yeah, but but Crosby's the bitch. Oh, yeah. You know, go, go look at their fight card, their body of work. Crosby looks like fucking Mike Tyson compared to Ovechkin. Fuck. But, no, but Cindy's the bitch. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but Russian machine never breaks. You know, fucking fanboy fucking dorks. Yes, and I'm fully aware that he can run around, hit, whatever, and doesn't need to fight all the... Yeah, I know that. But it's how do you watch a video of him spearing a guy in the balls and just say, well, yeah, but he scores. He doesn't need to do that shit. Like, he doesn't need to back that up. Like, fuck, seriously? Oh, yeah, what happened to you? Fuck. You know, and I love these ex-players. It's like, yeah. Like, I, I have nothing but love for the fucking ex-players. And... You know, and your knowledge and everything else. I'm not, you know, not for that, but I, this fucking revisionist history shit. And I don't know this. I don't know what the fuck some of you guys are talking about. I mean, I was there, I saw it, so I don't know. You and I are looking at things differently, I guess. But anyway, whatever. Okay. We'll move on to other news here. Uh, I got an email uh, from well, from Kevin. I will I won't say your whole name, but uh, Kevin, thank you for the email. I appreciate it. Um, and he sent me a link. He's just like, 
For how fucking stupid many hockey writers are nowadays, as for dry settlers, is he actually getting away with this shit? Question mark. If so, makes the NFL, NFL, ugh, where's my mind? Oh, I knew I said, a, oh, my office pool, I had the Chargers. Oh, I should have, and I, I was going to change it last minute to Dallas, but, eh. Anyway, as for dry settlers, is he actually getting away with this shit? He makes the NHL look like a ring out league. Okay. So, well, first of all, Kevin, yes, the hockey writers are that bad. Because most of them are 20-year-old fucking dipshits. Like the ones that were... Like idiot that was replying to me about the Ovechkin stuff. Not Bolio, the other guy. But um, Oilers Daily, this is from. Leon Dreisaitl's warm-up routine that infuriates the opposing team. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oilers star forward Leon Dreisaitl has a pregame ritual that adds a touch of gamesmanship to the warm-up routine. Before every game as the opposing team is still on the ice, Dreisaitl takes a shot across the rink and tries to sink the puck into the opposition net. This unique pregame ritual might just ruffle the feathers of his opponents before the real action begins. Dreisaitl's tradition is not not just about testing his shooting skills. It's a way to send a clear message to the other team. It's a playful but strategic move that keeps the competitive spirit alive, even before the puck officially drops. While it may not be a common practice, it's certainly a lighthearted way for Dreisaitl to get in the zone and perhaps distract his rivals just a little bit. The intriguing pregame tradition is just another example of how players like Dreisaitl bring their own personality and flair to the game of hockey. Whether it's a mind game or a playful warm-up routine, it's all part of what makes the sport so exciting. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, someone should get the puck and fucking take a slap shot at his fucking head. That might straighten that and that shit out right away. Shit like that started a brawl. Go check out Montreal and Philly back in the day in the playoffs. Um, no, nah, it's a fucking douche move. I mean, he's certainly not the first person to fucking ever do that. Hell, Link Gates used to go to the other teams, other teams <laughs> and take the net. It's a true story. He took the net and took it back to his net and said, and they warmed up both their goalies, and the other team just just shot at their goalie without a net because no one was going to do shit when Link Gates did that shit. You want to talk about fucking games or shit and getting in people's heads? That's how you do it. Not take a little wrist shot from the center ice, <laughs> you know? No, like I said, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things. It's a douche thing. So yeah, fire the puck back at him, you know. But again, this is all part of the. But it's fun. Everything's funsy onesies now. Yeah. We're selling the game, bro. I love this one. Like, oh, there brings out their personal. It's a fucking warm up. The rink's three quarters fucking empty. No one's paying attention. And so it doesn't bring flair to the game, you dumb shit. No, it's just a fucking other douche thing. Now, see, this is the same clown. If he does this one night and some guy goes against the puck and fires it back at him, oh, this guy would be on Twitter crying about how, oh, they're, this is why the NHL doesn't grow and shit like this. Yeah, once again, these it's it's just the fucking douche culture of sports. Like I'm, like the other day when I was talking about baseball, every fucking idiot's got a pimp trotter. When they get on base, they got to do a stupid dance, or they look at the dugout and do some stupid routine. Let's not even get into both football. Shit, you got linebackers making tackles after the guy gains six, and they're fucking doing a dance like they accomplished something. It's just this look at me bullshit culture now. Every, it's just these athletes are just douchebags. It's, it's amazing to me. Yeah, and this is just another example of it. You know, whatever. But oh, it's flair. Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's what that is. Okay. 
I guess so. Oh yeah, did you guys see LeBron? Yeah, speaking of douchebags. So it's like the NBA is playing, it's a preseason. So obviously the starting get like LeBron and stuff, they play a quarter or whatever, they play a half and sit out the rest of the game or whatever. You know, get the rookies playing and all that shit. Well, so the Lakers are playing. They go in at halftime and I, you know, obviously they were told told LeBron, yeah, you're done for the night, whatever. This idiot goes and gets in a track suit and sits at the end of the bench with a plate of food. Literally a plate of food and sits and eats it. Like, you're such a fucking loser. Like, either go sit in the locker room and eat your food then. Or how about you stay in uniform and sit on the bench and be part of the fucking team. Like, I know it's preseason, whatever. But hey, there's some rookies playing. You know, maybe, you know, I mean, shit, you're getting paid to be there, are you not? Like, maybe get yourself involved in the team. Maybe talk, oh, hey, you know, next time you should do this or whatever. No, instead, you're going to sit there in your little track suit and eat food. On, you know, you're such a loser. You're a fucking loser. And it's just, it's just shit like this. It's just, ugh. Just douchebag shit. Just, ah. That's why I hate sports. Seriously. Somebody's the other day, they're, t- they're trying to be like, oh, you watch, I'm like, I don't really watch shit anymore because these guys are such fucking clowns. Like I said, I respect the athleticism and the, the, the athletes that these guys are. This, I'm not talking about that. These guys are amazing. Athletes are amazing now and all this shit. But it's just this, it's just a douchebaggery that's around sports. Oh, you watch combat sports. Oh, every dork in their fucking pre, the media thing. They got a, some idiot square off. Oh, somebody's going to shove somebody and then everybody get in there, break it up, or let's throw something at them. It's just, what are we doing? Like, just, just go, like, I get it. Like, it's every, you got to sell the shit. I, yeah. Can't we just, like, just go fight. Like, in baseball, just hit the home, get around the bases. Like, can't anybody, like, I guess that's what makes me sound so old, but can you not act like you've done it before? Like, God, it's just, why? Why? And I'm not talking, like, in the playoffs and shit. I get why you're excited to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, these class hats are doing this shit in, like, nothing games in June. Losing six nothing, the guy hits a solo shot and he pimps it like he Cadillac trots around first. Like how many fucking Guerrero? How many times did he stand there and oh, it hit the fan? Like Josh Donaldson, there's like a five minute video of him on YouTube thinking he doing all these trots and he like he's hitting the wall and shit. It's like oh, do you know a clown you look like? Just like why? Just why? God. Here, this is my angry. Yell at the clouds episode, I guess, but it's just like I don't know. Just play the fucking game. God, can't anybody just do that anymore? Just play the fucking game. I don't know. Like I don't know. Like I'm not a big UFC. Like I don't watch, and I certainly don't watch the fucking weigh-ins and shit. Like I mean, obviously a lot of this shit comes through social media, and I see a little clip of it real quick, but. I don't know, but like, did George St. Pierre ever do that? Did, you know, did Randy Couture ever like shove somebody and then his entourage through a water bottle and blah? Like, I, I don't remember it. Like, whatever. But, you know, but I guess that everyone has to do that now. Like, I guess. Cause if you don't, God forbid you don't 
you know, you don't feed the troglodytes, you know, the goldfish. You got to give them content every day. And, oh, yeah, I got to get online and talk about the guy's wife and whatever. And uh, it's just, you know, and I mean, I get boxy. I mean, trash talking it. Like, I mean, Muhammad Ali was the guy that originally, but he, he, at least he was funny. Like, these guys are just clowns. Like, Dylan Danis is funny. Like, no, he's a fucking clown. Like, the Pauls, he's fucking dumb shits. The Diaz brothers, those illiterate fucking bozos. Like, you're 40 years old and you're giving everyone the finger. Like, oh, yeah. Get a cool guy. Like, just, what the fuck? Like, whatever. Anyway. Now, where was I? I don't even know what I was talking about. Oh, my list. Well, I should probably do some sponsorship shit first, and then we'll uh, we'll get into these lists, shall we? And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Football is back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use the code THPN to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.sot1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of the Boot Hill Casino and Resorts in Kansas City, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. All right, what list should we do first? Well, we'll do the Penguins one. Penguins all-time enforcer squad. Uh, okay, and this was brought by Pittsburgh Sporting News. All right. Uh, January 14, 2014. Okay. As an enforcer or a noted tough guy is known for his fighting skills, enforcers or goons as are usually fourth-line players that are limited in skill who see limited action during a game and usually do not play on special teams. When the Pens have had their share of players, well, the Pens have had their share of players who could fight and score, talk at Gary Robert, Bill Guerin, Kevin Stevens. Uh, the list is comprised of players who are actually acquired for protection and intimidation. These players can also be considered as energy players who fly up and down the ice, finishing checks to energize his team or engage in a fight to spark the fire. The enforcers can also be used by their coaches to intimidate opponents and get them off their game because they're more cautious when they know that an enforcer is out on the ice. These players are also given the role of protecting their teammates, especially the star players on their team. Here is my list of the top 10 enforcers in Penguins history. Number 10, Jay Caulfield. 6'4", 240. Caulfield was a linebacker on skates. Caulfield, a linebacker in college, also liked to play hockey. The Penguins acquired the services of Caulfield for one reason, to protect star Mario Lemieux. Caulfield may not have been a truly feared heavyweight. He was, however, willing to take on all comers as Caulfield was incredibly strong and knew his role as an enforcer or protector of the team. Um, 
Yeah, I was like coffee when he wore the neck roll. Remember that? Yeah, looked like he really did go back to his college football days. Um, yeah, I mean, Caulfield's biggest Achilles heel was, of course, his, uh, was his balance. Um, I mean, the guy had balls the size of church bells. There's no doubting that. And his fight card's tremendous. But, uh, you know, old, uh, yeah, old, old, old Jay was, uh, you know, pro- yeah, he wasn't the greatest fighter in the world. But like I said, he, uh, he fought everybody and, uh, you know, was, uh, Certainly willing, no doubt about that. Uh, number nine, Marty. Oh, and I also, I always say with these lists, I don't know if I just said this before, but um, I haven't looked at these lists ahead of time, so I'm discovering. As I always say, I'm discovering them with you guys, the listeners. So um, yeah, so then my reaction is genuine. So um, yes. So anyway, I know I say that all the time, but hey, in case we got some new listeners, I get a, I get a couple new ones now and again. So you know, got to got to keep them up to date of what's going on here. Uh, number nine, Marty McSorley, quite possibly the biggest goon of all time. McSorley entered the league as a pretty boy rookie in 1983. Ah, okay. McSorley was anything but. He quickly established himself by taking on the league's top heavyweights. McSorley quickly earned a reputation for toughness and the title of protector slash enforcer. McSorley has been named, McSorley has also been named one of the biggest scumbags of all time per the Bleacher Report for his savage attack on Donald Brashear. <laughs> all right. Um, well, I don't know if Marty ever entered the league as a pretty boy. You know, I don't know if he was considered a pretty boy in Belleville, the Ontario League. He was an undrafted free agent, though, and definitely worked his way up. And, uh, yeah, did a lot of fighting with the Skipjacks there in Baltimore. And, um, yeah, he, uh, one of the biggest goons of all times. I mean, whatever. I, I laugh how people just throw, like, well, I brought up the Reeves thing, like, the one guy's a goon. I'm like, if you think Reeves is a goon, you've never seen a real goon. Um, yeah, uh, would I call Marty Mix? Yeah, no. I mean, again, I mean, why, well, fuck, you can call these guys, whatever you want, enforcers, goons, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, I guess the, 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 the word goon, I guess, has always been looked at as a derogatory term, um, you know, I guess no one would like to be called, like, nobody would like to be called that. I mean, I don't know. I get, I mean, I can understand why a player wouldn't want to be called that. I mean, it's just like in, in the movie Goon, right? You're a Goon, you know, you're a Goon. No, you're a hockey player. You know, they just want you to bleed, right? But you're a hockey player. You know, that whole, the diner scene there in Goon. And he's right, though. You are a hockey player. And that was my argument with, like, Ken Campbell and these idiot writers all the time. These called meatheads and Goons. I'm like, they're hockey players that have a role. You know, I mean, why do you, why do you have to call them meatheads and goons? Because that's what they are. You know, it's oh fuck. You know, whatever. And it's like, I don't know. I've never really asked a player. Like, I mean, I, yeah, some of them have made comment like they don't want to be called a goon or whatever. But it's like, I don't know. I I would always say I I would consider who the 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 source is. I mean, it's like one of those things, you know, sticks and stones may break my bone. You know, it's like, yeah, well, if Ken Campbell's calling me a goon or a meathead, I, I probably wouldn't take that really seriously because look who the fuck is calling me, calling me that. It's the same thing if, if Leaf Girl 34 wants to call me a meathead, well, then, you know, whatever. So, but I don't know. I just, but I've been noticing it like a lot more lately. It's just they, these people love to throw out the goon word. You know, these, they're 21, 22 years old. Like, believe me, like watching today's NHL, you really think there's goon? Like, holy shit, if you think Ryan Reese is a goon. All right. 
or, you know, Jack Eye or, you know, whoever, Gloria or Zach Cassian, such a goon. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, because, you know, whatever. Number eight, Francois LaRue. At 6'6", over 240, LaRue was a physical player known for delivering bone-crunching hits and answering the bell when needed. During the 96-97, Frankie hammered Pat LaFontaine with a high hit to the head. Uh, starting the end of LaFontaine's career, a month later, LaRue took the belt from reigning heavyweight champ Tony Twist with a draw-dropping TKO. He did catch Twist. Um, and then would never give him a rematch, which was hilarious. Um, I remember LaRue was a real high pick by the Oilers. Um, big kid out of the Quebec League. Um, I'm not sure how many NHL games he played. A couple hundred. Um, so, you know, he had a career. Um, I don't know if he was... Uh, He had a, but he did have a couple like shining moments in terms of fights, like the like the twist fight and everything else. Um, I'm certainly not going to start, you know. Again, it's not that I I researched this ahead of time so I could I'll list off all of you know Larue's fights. I know he did fight Curtis Swanson in the LNH though um, when he played for. For those that don't know, Francois Larue actually did play for the Laval Chiefs in the LNH for a year. Um, yeah, but I mean, he was a huge dude. Um, I know on my YouTube channel, I have a couple of his fights with Dennis Bonvi. Um, is it Bonvi? Jeez, now I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was Bonvi. Anyway, yeah, I mean, all right. Number eight, LaRue. Number seven, Aaron Asham. Most well known for dropping Washington's Jay Beagle in the early 2011 season that drew heat for his CM Punk celebration. Aaron Ash was one of the best middleweight fighters of his time. Ash took on all comers and is equipped with a loaded right hand and a concrete chin. Yeah, Aaron Ash was awesome. Kind of a middleweight guy, but could definitely fight heavyweights. I, like, I, I was fortunate enough to see Ashman Jr. here in the Western Hockey League when he played for Red Deer. Man, Red Deer had a tough team. They had him and, like, Lloyd Shaw and Mike Brown and Devin Frank, or was Frank on there? Pete was there. Like, poof. Um, and then Terry Ryan came over in the trade deadline. Like, um, I was really surprised Red Deer didn't win that year because they were stacked. But Ashen was awesome. Like, Ashen was a power forward in the Western League. Like, he, yeah, I think he had back-to-back 40 goal seasons. Um, yeah, solid player and could definitely fight, could switch hands. Um, again, you know, I know I always reference it, but really, uh, if you want to check out some of his junior fights, again, go to my YouTube channel. Um, I have some of his Red Deer fights on there, and you can see what I mean. He switches hands. And back then, he's got, like, the little skateboard hair. He looks super young. Or he is, well, he is young. He's a teenager. But, like, looks like really, like, he hasn't filled out, right? He's 18, skinny, and whatever. But he's just, like, smacking guys. So check it out. But, yeah, Ashton's a bad dude. Love me some Aaron Ashton. In fact, I actually spoke with him not that long ago, and he will be on. Hopefully, I can get him on the show here soon. Number six, Matthew Barnaby. Without question, Barnaby is one of the most hated men in the NHL. True agitator pass that could back it up by dropping his gloves. As we know with Barnaby, lacked in size as he stood 5'9". He made up for in heart and courage as he challenged players like Eric Cairns, Chris Pronger, and Stu Grimson. Well, I don't know if how much courage it takes to fight Chris Pronger. When did everybody think Chris Pronger all of a sudden could fight? Like, Pronger is just a dirty prick. Uh, again, Hall of Fame player and everything else. Dirty as shit, but Pronger couldn't fight worth a shit. But, uh... No, Barnaby, I mean, yeah, well, agitator mouthpiece, definitely, for sure, right? Mouth was always going, but uh, utterly fearless. It fought heavyweights. Like, actually, the fights with Grimson are hard to watch, but he just, just stands there and takes it. But, uh, 
I always liked Barnaby. He was cool as shit with me. Uh, good player, played forever. And, uh, yeah, I'm down with Matthew Barnaby. Number five. Oh, here you go. Steve Durbano. The more I read up on this player, the more he becomes the real-life Olgie Oglethorpe. Steve, demolition derby Durbano. Game plan was simple. You'd go out of his way to intimidate an opponent as Durbano was truly one of the baddest men to suit up for the Penguins. Yeah, Durbano was a crazy dude, man. I know him and Battleship Kelly had a tag team there. and I mean, Durbano's off-ice stuff is legendary. And um, I'm certainly, you know, the 70s and stuff, I'm certainly not going to sit here and act like I'm a expert on Steve Durbano. Um, I know TSN... So TSN, somebody did a podcast about Durbano. It's a couple, it's a couple series long. And I've, I've been told by numerous people that I should listen to it. And I've never got around to doing it, but I should. Um, I know he had a real tragic end there. I know, you know, the drug deal, the drugs and all that shit. He kind of got clean and, uh, yeah, yeah. Durbano had just, you know, crazy off ice shit, but, uh, he was a high pick. I had asked Terry Ryan Sr., uh, about Durbano because he played uh, in the Ontario League against Durbano and he uh, he told a couple of funny stories but uh, yeah the Spaceballs helmet and old Derby there he was uh, a wild dude for sure number four Derek England the king of England that's funny I've actually never heard that before made his presence known in 2010 when he dropped Colton Orr like a sack of potatoes last I guess yeah it's an older article last week England had a per- Got a personal lesson as an up-close look at a quick right hand by Brian McGratton. Uh, England earns high marks for having the stones to drop his gloves against the true enforcer of McGratton's stature. During his time at the Penguins, England has established himself as a protector, can play forward or defense. Yeah, again, another guy that I got to watch in junior. Um, I was always like old Endo, uh, you know, Moose John stuff. Again, YouTube channel. I got some of his junior stuff on there. And some, actually, and some Las Vegas Wrangler stuff from the East Coast League. Um, England took the long road to the NHL, um, did a bunch of fight, had some really great fights as, uh, early on in Pittsburgh. I know once he got traded to kind of, you know, a few fights in Calgary, then when he got to Vegas, he kind of really didn't fight that much anymore. But Hey, if you're going to, if they're going to let you stick around, you don't have to fight anymore. I mean, I don't blame these guys for not fighting. Cause I mean, shit, he's been fighting since he was 16 in juniors. I mean, if they're going to keep you in the NHL and you don't have to fight anymore, well, that sounds pretty good to me. But yeah, I'm down with Anglin. Um, you know, big tall guy. Yeah, he uh, he did have a couple big knockouts, and uh, yeah, um, I know Taylor's out there pumped anyway. But uh, yeah, Derek Anglin. There you go. Number three, Eric Goddard. Goddard's brought brought in to fill the role of uh, reigning champ George LaRock. Uh, Gods immediately excelled in the role as enforcer during the Cup run in 08. At six four two thirty, Goddard was game. On an any night, drop the gloves and lay waste to opposing forces. In 2011, Goddard left the bench during a game to defend Brett Johnson during the Long Island brawl. Yeah, Goddard was a bad dude. Again, another guy I was fortunate enough to see play at Lethbridge. YouTube channel. Got a bunch of his dub fights on there. Check out the fight with him and Stephen Pete. Center Rice in Calgary. Woo! Um, Goddard was one of the baddest dudes ever, man. Like you said, touched by the hand of God. I mean, he could... Uh, it was funny, we were we were kind of dissecting his career one time, just as fight geeks on the Facebook page, and it really was true. It was weird with Goddard, when the competition, like, a, you know, the Bougards or McIntyres or whatever, Goddard looked awesome, but then when he would, I don't want to, you know, I don't mean to sound, but when he'd kind of fight like a middle-of-the-road guy, or maybe someone that, like, he perceived that he should destroy, it was like he'd, he'd either, like, kind of just, it would be a draw, or he'd look disinterested, maybe even lose. Like, never dropped or beat up, but it was like, 
he just didn't look the same. They didn't look dominant like you think he should, but then he'd fight like McIntyre and like catch him and, or like Bugard and like drop him. It's like, what? But yeah, he uh, went in the mood and fired up one of the best. Yeah, really, he's one of the best probably ever to do it. I mean, he was he was awesome. And it was cool to see him win a cup with Pittsburgh. And uh, yeah, I'm down with Eric Goddard. I believe he is scouting for Minnesota now. He's scouting for somebody. I want to say it's Minnesota. Uh, George LaRock, standing 6'3", 270. Uh, LaRock was brought in to, for one reason, protect Crosby and Pummel opponents mentally and physically. BGL quickly put on the Atlantic division on notice when he dip- disposed of Orr and Brashear shortly after his arrival in Steel City. When BGL wasn't fighting, he was used as hulking frame to effectively dominate the corners along the boards of Buck battles. Yeah, LaRock was, uh, yeah, down low and shit. He, he was definitely an effective checker. Well, I mean, a guy that, that big and that heavy, I mean, you're not moving him, so, um... Yeah, like I said, I, I have LaRock in my, you know, whatever, top three, top four of all time. I mean, he's, you know, I, I've i always said my only knock on LaRock is he was way too nice and gave everybody a fair chance. If you had given him the Dave Brown's attitude, well, maybe it's a good thing he didn't have Dave Brown's attitude because somebody would have got really hurt because he could really hurt you, and uh, but he was too nice. He let up on guys like the Brashear fight's a perfect example of him letting up on him. Um and it hurt and it got hurt because of it. But uh when uh he was fired up and in the mood, um well watch go watch the preseason fight with Brant Myers. He was mad before that fight. Go watch the fight with Rob Ray. He's mad at Rob Ray and look what he did to him. And it's like when he was pissed, he could demolish you quickly. And uh yeah, George's a bad dude, man. I'm interested to see who number one is. If they're number one, Dave, really? Dave Schultz. All right. Schultz earned the reputation as one of the original Broad Street bullies, once known for a true intimidator of the league. Schultz was coming to the end of his career when he was acquired by Pittsburgh, not wanting to disappoint the hammer, dropped his glove 21 times in the 77 78 season, racking up a modest 378 battling minutes. After injuring his wrist in a fight, Schultz once put boxing wraps on his hands for protection. Shortly after, the NHL created the Schultz rule, banning boxing wraps in professional hockey. Uh, okay, really? I did. Mm. I don't know about that. The Schultz rule. I've never actually heard that before. I'm not saying this guy's wrong. I I just never heard that. Although, granted, going back, I'm trying to think. Yeah, you certainly didn't see raps in the eight. Well, I don't know. You kind of did sometimes. They were, but all right. Again, I didn't. Sorry, like I said, I'm discovering this with you guys. I didn't do some research, so I'm gonna actually write that down. I'm gonna look into that. The Schultz rule. And I'm gonna, I will fact check this and I will report my findings on Sunday. Um, that surprised me that I actually, I completely forgot Schultz played in Pittsburgh. Um, I mean, yeah, 370 minutes, 21 fights. I mean, okay. Um, I think at that point, Schultz was sort of at the end of the line, though. I don't know if I would be like, I, okay, on the top 10 list or whatever. But, um, again, I don't know all time. Like, how to, how, Here's my list of the top 10 enforcers. Well, so, I mean, again, what's... The, I always say with these lists, it's like, well, what's the criteria? Is it the best fighter? Well, if it's the best fighter, like, I would have George first and Goddard second, and then we could, you know, throw a few guys around as we as need be after that. But um, I wouldn't, as terms of fighting, like, I think Goddard and LaRock would have no problem with, with Schultz and a real... Well, a lot of these... Uh, most of these guys wouldn't have a problem with Schultz. And I'm not saying they'd all kick Schultz's ass or anything, but it's not like, 
Schultz would dominate them. Um, but hey, uh, that's cool. But again, I've never actually thought of Schultz as a penguin before, so it was, it's odd to see him on the list, especially at number one. But there you go, folks. There's the Penguins all-time enforcer squad. How's that for a list? All right. How, what t- how much time are we at here? 50 minutes. Yeah, all right. I could, I'll, I'll get this in in under an hour, give or take. This is uh, ranking the 10 biggest goons in NHL history. See, we had talked about all this goon talk lately. Well, let's get a list about it. Lyle Fitzsimmons wrote this on August 23rd, 2013 for the uh, Wild's Bleacher Report. So there we go. <clears throat> you want to polarize a room quickly? Get a group of hockey fans together and ask them their thoughts on the art of the goon. For as long as there's been a pristine 200-foot sheet of ice, there have been players who have occupied spots on rosters primarily based on an ability to set a physical tone or enforce their version of justice on the opposition. Some despi- uh, despise the practice. Others considered it an integral part of the game. Either way, there's little doubt that an old-fashioned drop-the-glove scrap is a go-to catalyst for the spiking crowd noise at an NHL arena. We've assembled a list of the top NHL goons of all time, along with a sidecar list of those who nearly made the cut but wound up as also-rans. Click here, click through to see which of your picks jive with ours. All right, well, here we go. 11 through 20, the honorable mentions. Into every top 10 list, there's some near misses must fall. There's This one's no different. While tossing out names that ultimately made the final cut, there were another 10 that drew slightly less than necessary uh, for, <laughs> required for eternal glory. We present them here with no comment outside of a heartfelt thanks anyway and better luck next time. And a, gen- and a genuine hope that we meet none of them in a dark concourse while attending our next game. Uh, our, okay. Uh, Marty McSorley... Joey, Co- okay, what was the name of the, what, rank, the 10 biggest goons in hockey history? Well, the last guy was ready to, given, given McSarley the scarlet letter, the last Bleacher Report guy, but now he can't even make the top 10 here. So these writers are all over the place. But well, we got McSorley, Coaster, Claude Lemieux, Chris, all right, Chris Nyland, Eddie Shore, Ray, Gordy Howe, Peruby, Tim Hunter, Donald Brashear. Um, all right, again, I don't know what we're, What's a goon? Despite despite the prize, other NHL goon of all time. Yeah, so they don't really like. Again, I guess we're you know what is it? Fighter, enforcer, go- like I don't was like I don't I wouldn't call any of these guys goons. But all right, <laughs> anyway, that's that's who didn't make it. Let's see who made it here. Here we go, number ten. Oh, I love it. Folks, we're off to a hot start. Clark Gillies, number 10. Some may bristle at the suggestion that a four-time Stanley Cup winner, an NHL Hall of Famer inductor was, inductee was a goon. But the Islander winger Gillies certainly had the skills to exist solely as a tough guy if he had nothing else to go on. Okay. Fortunately for both he and the Islanders, he did, which resulted in 319 goals, 697 points, along with 1,000 penalty minutes at 14 NHL seasons, 12 of which were spent on the island. Okay, I mean, I don't know what, like, so we're just going to pick guy, like, okay, never mind their points. If they just wanted to fight, he could be a goon. Like, again, what what is it? Lyle, what are, what are we writing here? Goon list. We got, well, honorable mentions, we had, like, Claude Lemieux and Gordie Howe and, I mean, okay, Eddie Shore. 
Where, like, are, well, aren't short, like, aren't they in the Hall of Fame? I know Gordy Howe is, but like, all right, <laughs> whatever. Well, and like I said, Marty McSorley, holy shit, they were ready to run him out of town, biggest goon ever. Now he's not even making the list here, so these writers are everywhere. But Clark Gillies at number 10, okay. Number 9, Stu Grimson. Well, okay, we go from Gillies to Stu Grimson. Unlike his predecessor at the number 10 spot, the inclusion of Grimson on a list of noteworthy goons is less likely to create a stir. 6'5", 230, Grimson's stat line of 17 goals and 22 assists. 2,100 minutes and 700 games, an average of 2.9 minutes for each game played, indicates where the strength of his game resides. He played for eight NHL cities across 14 years, ultimately throwing his last violent check with the Nashville Predators in 0102. All right, yeah, I mean, I could see you putting Grimson on the air quote goon list. Um, sure. I didn't realize Stu actually played for that many teams, though. Number eight, Dave Brown. All right. Inclusion on the rundown of the NHL goons is like Grimson's performance. A sign of validity of the, to the collection. Uh, big body, 6'5". Brown appro- appropriately broke into the NHL with the Flyers in, 80, in 82 and was a fixture through the 88-89 campaign, which he split between Philadelphia and by then Gretzky-less Oilers. He stayed in Edmonton through the end of 91, then rejoined the Flyers for four seasons before ending with the San Jose Sharks in 95. Final stat line, 45 goals, 52 assists, 1,700 minutes, and 700 games. Yeah, I mean, again, I like, I, I mean, I, I guess I don't, I don't know if I have that many, much to say about the list, like, or comments on these guys, because it's like, I mean, are Grimson and Brown goons? I mean, all right. I mean, their job was enforcing. They were both very good at it. And enforcing. Um, so does that make, does enforcer, does that make you a goon? Are we mixing, you know, okay, whatever. But okay, yeah, I can see Brown on the list. Seven, Dale Hunter. Uh, all right. 5'10", 200 pounds. Hunter isn't your typical mammoth frame tough guy, but he did enough to agitate for 1,400 game career. Uh, sort of like Gillies before him, Hunter was a productive player in addition to his antics, scoring 20 more goals nine times in parts of 19 seasons with three teams. Clumped together two stretch Quebec. He clumped together a two season stretch with Quebec, in which he scored 48 goals and was a plus 29, and a two year stretch with Washington, in which he tallied 48 more times and 13 points in 13 playoff games. Well, when it all ended at age 39 with the Avalanche, he had 323 goals and an astounding 3,500 penalty minutes. Yeah, Hunter was a great player. Um, but and like I said, 3,500, like he did a lot of dirty shit without a doubt. And a lot of it was just, um, at, at the end of the day, it's just like I was saying, I think that was a couple episodes ago, maybe it was the last episode. A lot of that shit, like the thing with Turgeon and all that stuff, that just hurt your team. Like to, to lose him for 21 games is a big blow to a team because he's such a solid player. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I understand a guy, certain guy, you have to play with that edge. That's part of your game. That's what makes you the player that you are and all that. I, I understand that, but, and I get, play, you know, yeah, back then it was different, but it's like, there was a couple of times there. It's just like, like, he's just probably just like, what are you doing? All right. Stop it. It's starting. Oh, bathroom breaks. Some answered text messages. I'm telling you folks, Ugh, busy over here. So that was seven. Dale Hunter. What do you got? Number six, Dave Semenko. 
if you've got the NHL gig as a goon, there's worse places to have it than alongside the greatest player and arguably some of the greatest teams in league history. Such as such was the sentence served by 6'3 Manitoba native who latched on with the Oilers in their final two WHA seasons and rode the subsequent NHL wave to two Stanley Cup titles before heading to Hartford in the 86-87 season. He spent one year in Toronto before exiting the league for good, but his final tallies were 65 goals, 153 points, 1,100 minutes, and 575 games. Um, yeah, I mean, Semenko, again, argue, I've always said there's a difference between a fighter and an enforcer. Um, you know, actually in terms of, no, I don't want to say Semenko was, because he wasn't bad, but, um, I have references, uh, on the show before. I had Luciano on way back when, uh, I can't remember what, again, I can't remember whatever. If you scroll down, it's in the episode title. Um, I, it's called the Dave Semenko special. I had Luciano because he's a huge, he's in Winnipeg and he was a, he's a massive Semenko fan. Um, and he, and he talked about, um, a lot of the really great Semenko footage just isn't out there. Like no one's really seen it. People that, you know, it's real hit and miss and like a lot of the WHA stuff isn't there. And, I mean, Luciano's taking a lot of time, like gone back on the, on newspaper articles and really done his research. Semenko is a real force in the WHA and then early on in the NHL career. And like I said, it, not a lot of that stuff is out there. Most of the stuff's like in the mid-80s, like brawling with the flames and all that shit. And at that point, Semenko, you know, he has some good fights. But, I mean, he, he looked, you know, I, I think always Hunter always actually did really well against him and stuff like that. But Semenko was, I always say, was the enforcer. Like, when there was shit that needed to be straightened out, he'd go do it. Or if something he had to cross the line, he would do it. Um, you know, and stuff like that, but, um, yeah, and it's a shame that older footage isn't out there, but, uh, yeah, Semenko, bad dude, man, I was a big Semenko fan, like I said, it, uh, if you haven't had a chance, uh, and you can get, get, looking out for number one, was the name of his biography that he wrote, it's a really good book, I highly recommend, if you can get that one, it's, it's old, like, he wrote it a long time, obviously, obviously, it was a long time ago, um, but, uh, yeah, I know, and after he left Edmonton and the Hartford and Toronto, like, his heart just wasn't in it anymore. And, I, and well, it's like, everybody, he had alcohol issues off the ice and stuff like that. And uh, But, yeah, so he really wasn't into the, after he left Edmonton. But, uh, yeah, he he was great in Edmonton, that's for sure. Number five, Terry O'Reilly. Uh, all right. When it came to NHL tough guys we could, who could both handle the rough stuff and be valuable on-ice commodities, O'Reilly is one of the top examples. It's been each of... He spent each and every one of his 891 games with the Bruins, compiling 204 goals, 402 points, go along with 2,000 minutes. He wasn't averse to hopping over the glass and going nose-to-nose with a fan when he felt that needed it. He was a plus 40 while scoring a career-best 90 points and spending 211 box, minutes in the box in 77-78 and helping the Bruins to a failed Stanley Cup final appearance against Montreal. Yeah, Terry O'Reilly was, was one of the original power forwards. He's a great player. And, uh, again, I... What are we, a goon list? I mean, I mean, this list is nonsense. So it's a, what, you know, but Terry O'Reilly was great. I mean, you know, why, why him and Gillies and these guys are on there is, I don't know. Number four, Ty Domi. Oh, there you go. If nothing else can be said about Domi, he certainly looked the part. All right. Well, oh, Jesus. 5'10", 207 pound, perfect body type, and the right facial expression to annoy on ice foes, and he managed to do over parts of 16 NHL seasons. Uh, in the end, he spent 3,500 minutes in the box, the equivalent of 58 full games, and then some while scoring 104 goals, compiling 245 points in 1,020 actual games. 
Yeah, I mean, again, Domi's a great enforcer. Did his job. Always, like, really came into his own, I think, when he got to Winnipeg. With the whole stuck up. Like, they, Winnipeg went on a great run when him and Chris King showed up. That's been well documented. Protecting Solani and the other guys. And then gets to Toronto. You know, protected Sandin all those years. I mean, you can say whatever you want about Domi, but uh, solid skater, good body check, uh, body checker. Um, yeah, not only, you know, fight-wise. Yeah, I mean, undersized in almost every fight. And I mean, but obviously his fight card second to none. He fought everybody. Um, I mean, what can you say about Ty Domi? I mean, yeah, he was one of the best at it for sure. Number three, Dave Schultz. All right, to anyone who grew up watching hockey in the 70s and happened to not be a Flyers fan, Schultz was the most feared and disliked man in the NHL universe. The hammer took on ice thuggery to new levels of the Broad Street Bullies, and his name is etched in the cups twice as a result, as the tough guy Flyers mugged the Bruins and Sabres in succession to win titles in 74 and 75. Schultz scored nine goals and assisted on 17 and spent a whopping 472 minutes in the box, an average of 52.4 minutes per every goal. Incidentally, for the Flyers in the 74-75 season, which he had five points in 93 minutes in 17 playoff games. He was an NHL vagabond in his sunset year, spending time with the Kings in Pittsburgh before winding up his career with 13 games with the Sabres in 79-80. Yeah, I mean, they always say, I mean, really, that Schultz kind of ushered in the goon era with the gang fighting and all that stuff. But, I mean, um, the the Flyers certainly took it to a new, (laughs) definitely took it to a new level. Um, again, if you, ha- I'm sure, I'm sure everyone listening to this show has watched it, but if you have not go to YouTube, just type in the Broad Street Bullies. It was in a, it was an ESPN or an HBO. I think it was HBO special and they interview all the guys and stuff and then just go back and look at the flyer at the Broad Street Bullies and stuff. And it's a good documentary. Um, well, the one guy, what's his name? I can't remember his name. He's crying on there about him, but whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, if you were in a, uh, a fan of the Flyers. I mean, obviously, I mean, you still see it on the message board today, the Bruins guys and all that, the older goons and, you know, they're all pussies and, you know, whatever. But yeah, I mean, the tactics worked. Obviously, they went back to back cups. And I mean, yeah, great players too. I mean, you know, McLeish and uh, Clark and all those guys. But I mean, yeah, when you get Seleski and Schultz and Kelly and, um, yeah, they, they won through intimidation and, and, uh, proved it can work. There's, the proof is in the pudding. Number two, Bob Probert. Oh, if you would dispute Probert was another one of the series of huge, tough individuals who could both take care of the matters physically and also contribute with a stick in his hand. Stood an imposing 6'3", 225, and it was the bulk that made him avoid... Uh, that made him an avoided commodity during his heyday with the Red Wings in the late 80s, early 90s. Scored 29 goals at 398 minutes. In 87 with the Wings, top 20 goals again in 91 before heading off to the rival Blackhawks. He scored 19 in his initial season with the Hawks, but never cracked double digits before ending his career in 0102. Overall, he scored 163 goals and had an even 3,300 minutes in 935 games. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, you know, Probert's a goon, all right, whatever, but, um, oh, goons don't play in all-star games. Um, Probert definitely had his moments of being dirty, which, you know, sometimes the Probert fanboys like to overlook. I mean, I love me some Bob Probert. He's probably one of my, you know, I mean, one of my all-time favorite tough guys for sure. But it's not like I'm saying, I'm not, it's not like I'm creating shit out of thin air. I mean, he hit goalies and headbutted guys and pulled hair and he did some dirty shit in the day, but you know, it was to send messages and, you know, um, and he was an intimidating dude. And, uh, 
I mean, I don't have to give everybody listening a freaking history lesson on Bob Probert. Everybody knows. So, but yeah, um, arguably the best of all time. Um, as some would say, I would have, I have him number one. Um, but I'm not going to sit here. It's not even close. No, because you sound like an idiot when you say that because it's definitely close. And again, it's opinion. I mean, no one's right or wrong in it. But this idea that Probert's miles ahead of everyone else is like, no. But uh, he's certainly, I think, with his fight card and his longevity and the wins. And um, I always say about Probert, my biggest thing with Probert always was that uh, um, he always stepped up and produced in the in the with the big fight. He he was a big fight guy. As as Dusty Rhodes once said, he's a big money ball player. And he was. When it came time to exact revenge, um, he did and he won. And, you know, the thing with Domi, with Crowder, with all those guys, Ewan, I mean, um, if it was built up or whatever, he had to make the revenge fight. He always did. And he always came out on top. And, uh, you know, yeah. There you go. I, well, I'm curious. Who's number one here on the all-time goon list? I mean, here we go. Tiger Williams. Oh, there you go. No fan of hockey fights the last few generations. Immune to the impact of Tiger Williams. Brought the art of the brawl to a new level. A 962-game run that stretched from 74 to 88. In between, the average size Williams, who stood 5'11", weighed 190. Never found an opponent who wouldn't throw down with. Compiling 3,966 minutes to go along with 241 goals and 513 points. He topped 300 penalty minutes six times in 14 seasons. And was between two and 300 another six times while wearing the often blood-spattered sweaters of the Leafs and the Whalers. In addition to the Canucks, Wings, and Kings. Yeah, the all-time penalty minute leader. Uh, I mean, obviously that that record. I mean, teams won't even get that many. Uh, you know, combined this year. Um, yeah, girl Saskatchewan boy. Again, great player. As I pointed out, five hundred thirteen points in uh, how many games? Nine hundred sixty-two games. So I mean, you know, it's a point every two games. Um, you know, to go along with thirty-nine hundred minutes. So he was certainly a player, power forward. Um, I don't. I think people. I think they know he's the all-time penalty minute leader and all that stuff, and I and I think it is often um, overlooked how good of a player he was. Great, it, lots of skills. Um, you know, obviously known for the Leafs and the Canucks run. You know, the you know the rank, Wings and Kings were at the end in Hartford and stuff. But yeah, the Leafs in Vancouver is definitely where he did his uh, did, did his best work. And uh, I don't know, like you watch him. I mean, he certainly fought everybody. He was fearless and all that. Um, how great of a fighter was he? Yeah, he bit of a wrestler. I mean, you know, again, fought everybody. I, I you know, I, I don't think you were going to, you weren't going to get any John Morass, the Steve Bosse toe to toe wars out of him. But, uh, again, fought everybody, uh, was a great player, um, colorful character. You want to talk about character shooting a puck during warmups into the net is not fun and character. I mean that's what these dorks think character now is. Tiger Williams, Ty Domi. Like you go out down this list. Like that's what Tiger Williams even probert to us as a degree, but Schultz, Domi, O'Reilly, you know, um these guys were characters. Like even like Barnaby, guys like that. Um Rob Ray they were characters in the game that, that, that like now what they think is characters, they're just, these guys are just douchebags and trying to do shit for TikTok. I mean, that's their idea of characters in the game. You know, well, what, what suit, like what, uh, 
you know, what, uh, what color was this purse that he came in with? What, was it his Gucci shoes? Like that, like their pregame that they come in with their suits. That's character in today's game, you know, whereas these guys were like literally characters on and off the ice. And, um, yeah. And it's lost to time with these guys with the, with the tough guy being out of hockey. It is really a different time. And, and I mean, and somebody, they're never coming back, bro. Yeah, I know. Thanks tips. I know they're not coming back. But I always like, like I said, the, today's players and fans. If you went around back then, you you have no. Con- I'm watching clips on YouTube and stuff. Does not grasp what the whole deal was. Um, you had to live it. You had to be there, and uh, you missed out because it was it was a time, man, and there was characters. So, but anyway, guys, there we go. Um, there, there's a couple lists for you. Some ranting and yelling at clouds and just bitter old man. And it's 10.37 on a Tuesday night, so I got to shower and get ready to bed. Go to bed, because 5 a.m. comes quick. But uh, hopefully, I got to go put some, I got <laughs> to go put some ice in this friggin' knee. Holy, oh, sad, sad state of affairs here around the fourth line voice offices. Yeah, maybe I'll have to, I might have to do a GoFundMe for my medical. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, well, actually, I think it's, it's starting to get a little better now, but holy what are we, what's going on over here? Jesus, Louise. Anyway, that wraps it up. I want to, as I always say, and, and it's true, and um, for those of you that that take the time to listen to the show, I greatly appreciate it. If you want to get a hold of me for whatever reason, uh, Fourth Line Voice on Twitter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on Instagram, by the way. Uh, I don't really, I don't know if I really like Instagram, but I am on there. Fourth Line Voice, THPN is what I'm on there as. Uh, hook me up with a follow or whatever. Um, yeah, send me a message if you need to, if, and if you're not on social media, hockeyfights at hotmail.com. Uh, yeah, send me a link, a link to some, a story or send me some pictures. Um, uh, not those type of pictures. I mean, hockey fight pictures. Um, or just, hey, I have this story and I did this and I'd love to come on the show and talk about it. Absolutely. We'll figure something out. We'll get you on. Like I said, this is a show for the people, for the fight fans. So if you have something to say and you want to come on the show or play 10 rapid fire, I'm always looking for content. So absolutely hit me up and we'll get you on. But uh, thank you everybody for listening. And uh, let's get out of here. Let's attack the work week. We're almost there. Halfway there, folks. Weekend's right around the corner. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you on Sunday. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?